desire, God, to to worship you well and to worship you better, God. I pray that you would just use Jesse as your mouthpiece this morning, God, and open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say. In your name, amen. Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. morning. We're here together. The Lord is good. Good to see you guys. Uh, I know some of the junior high kids are filtering out, and uh, there'll be a couple more seats open for you. Um... Welcome. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jesse, and uh, for the most part, I have the great privilege of getting to teach God's Word here uh, each Sunday, and uh, love doing it, love being a part of it, love leading our church, uh, especially in this season. God has been uh, good and faithful and amazing to uh, our church, and we pray He continues to do so. If you are new and you want to get a little bit more plugged in or you want to know what's happening, because uh, we have been very, very busy as a church, and there are a lot of things that are going on as, uh, as a body, and so we want to make you aware of those things. Make sure you get our newsletter, or, or either that or visit our website often because it is constantly changing. Uh, you can sign up for the newsletter a couple different ways. Uh, one is in your bulletin, which we ran out of uh, this morning. Sorry about that. But inside the bulletin is a Connect card. Uh, fill that out. Give it to the info booth. They'll give you a gift, uh, and that'll sign you up for the newsletter. It gets you connected on our, our database, which we don't spam you. We just send out something about once a week. Uh, and then if you don't want to fill that out, you don't want the gift at the info booth, that's okay too. Just go to the website, sbctrucky.com, and there's a place uh, right underneath, right on the front page there for you to sign up. So please do that so you can find out what's happening because there are a, a lot of great uh, things that are occurring. A um, couple of them, in fact, um, the, uh, if my slides will go up there. Are they working? Did it crash? It just crashed. Perfect. I love technology. It's the best. Um, so I'll just verbally tell you. Uh, number one, we're doing a, a father-daughter dance uh, on April 30th. So if you have a daughter and you, you want to bring her, you should do that. I'm going. I'm, I think I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, there it is. Hey, it went up fast. Look, technology works sometimes. And so, yeah, sign up for this info booth. Uh, and uh, if you know somebody uh, or if you are someone that has a daughter and, and their dad's not around, I just encourage maybe finding a good father figure uh, in their life and encourage them to come and sign up. <clears throat> and then um, next thing. Oh, nope, still not working. Okay. All right. Okay. It's going to be one of those mornings. Um, did you do that for me, or is this now working? Okay. Thanks for the update. <laughs> Junior high, senior high camp is coming up. I want to welcome up Caleb. Is he in the room? Did he forget? Or is he next door? Where is he? Caleb? Caleb? Paging? Technology doesn't work. Youth pastor doesn't work. <laughs> Nothing's working this morning. It's going to... Man, the first service went wonky, and now the second service is too. I'm going to go ahead and announce, uh, announce for Caleb what's happening. Uh, there is a junior high camp this summer and a senior high camp uh, this summer coming up. I want to encourage you to sign up for it. Have your kids sign up for it. And then I'll, I'll also share this as well. Starting in June, if you have uh, a child who's entering into junior high in this coming school year, they can start coming. Uh, the same is true. Um, I was going to say the same is true for senior high, but that's not the case. They're going to college. You can go ahead and leave, get a job, figure out how to pay your own bills. Um, but for junior high, they're, they're moving in into senior high, which is crazy because that includes my 10-year-old uh, my oldest son, which is just, it's so, Courtney, where's Courtney? Isn't that weird to think that I have a son that's going to be in youth group? 
whoa. And so the last few months, Caleb's been asking me questions about what he can and can't do with my children. Uh, <clears throat> I told him, do whatever you want, man. Uh, it'll be fine. Uh, and then, um, hey, we're moving outside the beginning of June, and we're not doing this as much, just so you know, we're just, just to make it clear, we're not doing it so much as a response to safety. We're doing it because you guys loved it, and it was a great experience. Uh, and so th- this morning, this is an issue in the 1030. We have a parking issue in the 1030 service, and it will be an even bigger issue when we all gather together uh, on, in the outdoor service. There's cars lined up out here, and so I, I just want to make you aware, we're trying to We've got to train you here. This is directly across the street. When I walked in here currently, I can't see it right now, that parking lot was empty. And so there is an option for you to uh, park over there as well if we run out of spots. We obviously, down here in the the corner, we set up some reserve spaces for those of you who have small children. Please utilize that if you do have that, as well as those who are visiting for the first time, uh, which I saw there's a few of those uh, taken this morning. So if, if this is your first time, welcome. Love you. Great to having you. Hope you get plugged in. And continue to come and stay if you're visiting. Uh, great, that's that's cool too. There's a good chance you're probably trying to move here anyway. Um, and then, uh, hey, seriously, if you move here, we want you to come to our church. We we want you here. We we do. And and we obviously know you're rich because you bought a house. So, um, <laughs> by the way, if you want to give, there's boxes in the back. <laughs> <laughs> the, there is a par- <laughs> there's parking here as well and a path to the church and this is our church okay if you don't have a bible this morning would you raise your hand and one of the ushers will give you one uh um and you can keep it if you don't own one and as i've joked before I, uh, if you need a nicer bible check lost and found and there's some out there as well and we've been in this book. Um, <laughs> this has been such a weird morning for me, truly. Okay. Um, do you want to read for me? Is that what you're saying? What? No? You want to preach? Oh. <laughs> Are we even allowed to? Okay, let's not get into that. Um, so we've been in this book uh, a series. As you, is, if you are new, we have... Uh, a tradition we basically, for the most part, almost probably 90-something percent of the time, we walk through books of the Bible, uh, and we love God's Word, and, and we're committed to teaching God's Word, and, uh, and we believe God's faithful to the teaching of God's Word. And typically on a Sunday, what we'll do, uh, we're in the Old Testament right now, so we're in the book of Habakkuk, uh, so you can try to find that book if you've never found it before. It's a small little book. Uh, it, it's difficult to find, but it is in your Bible. Don't be afraid of using uh, the, the, uh, the table of contents and finding out what page it's on. Um, but we'll go from the Old Testament, and then we'll go into the New Testament. And so we're actually, when we're done with this book, uh, we're scheduled to be in the book of Colossians. Uh, and then on occasion, uh, we'll do some topical messages uh, as well. So we, we don't think we're better than others because we teach through uh, the Bible rather than topical. We believe God can use both, but we're committed uh, as a church to just going through these books and getting the big narrative of what the Bible is all about. And that narrative, the whole Bible, is about Jesus and him redeeming mankind. And we would even say the whole Bible is really all about his glory. And so we love the word, we love Jesus, we love the gospel, and we're committed to continuing uh, to preach 
who he is and what he's done for us. And so we're going to be in chapter two this morning uh, in this prophetic book. This is a book that we've, uh, overall, the overall theme that we've titled this is, is hard conversations or, 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 or conversations with God in troubling times, wrestling with the Lord uh, during, during moments of hardship, uh, which we felt when we kind of launched this that um, it would be good going into the season that we've kind of come out of, that it would be good uh, for whatever season is coming, because we know that there's probably more trial coming. I mean, really what it feels like to me is like the entire world is pushing down on, on like an aluminum can and to crush it, and, and the world uh, is trying, I believe, it, the satanic realm, the demonic realm is trying to crush really what Christianity is. Uh, and, and so it's important that we get God's view and we talk with God about the pushing back, if you will, to, to not be suffocated by the culture. Uh, I've had a line that, that I've used periodically on Sundays that don't take your narrative from the culture, take your narrative from the Word of God. Uh, and there's a lot of things that we are doing and have been doing as a church that the culture's not doing, uh, and we're doing those things because we believe God has commanded us and called us to do them. Um, I was pretty honest with the first service. I'll be honest with you, this, this service too. I got my first... Um, negative email uh, last, last week in, in a few months. Uh, so before, in like April, May, and all of that, we, my email was just like, it was like, who knows what I'm going to get kind of a thing, right? Everyone, everyone had an opinion of what we should be doing, right? Everybody was an expert, and everybody thought, you know, that they would give, a, give their two cents. And, and we were trying to learn, right? I mean, those, are the, those of your elders in the room, you were there uh, Brad Beers and Wayne and some of you, we, we wrestled through and there were some fun conversations. And anyway, I got an email this week from a gentleman who basically said that, um, oh, I got another email too here. No, just kidding. Um, he basically was pretty upset with our stance. We don't enforce mask wearing and, and asked me uh, to, to change. He, he wants to come to church and, and uh, asked that we would change our policy on, on mask wearing. And and I responded back as graciously as I can. But just, just to be clear, we haven't been, we've been inside without enforcing anything since November, and God's been good to us, and we have no intention of going back. <clears throat> now, <laughs> now, I love you, um, and I hope you clap more for the sake of, the, the, of, of, of why we're not wearing masks more than for the sake of just not wearing masks. Like, like, what I believe... From Genesis chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, it literally tells us that when God made man, he made man in God's image. And your face bears the image of God. And it is good to see your face because it reminds me of the goodness of God. Yeah? Uh, last night, um, I, I, uh, I, I, got, I bought for the first time in a long time a an MMA fight. I know some of you probably don't like those, but, but I do, and I'm still a Christian. And um, <laughs> this is a true story before I tell you about this. The true story about the, uh, I was in Chicago. I landed in Chicago, and we're going to get to the Bible, I promise. Um, but I, we, I landed in Chicago to do a wedding in Chicago, and I got on an elevator, and a, a few gentlemen got on the elevator. And when they got on the elevator, this is a true story. I've never met these people before. They looked at me, and, and, and he said, you an MMA fighter or a pastor? <laughs> now, to be clear, ministry's hard. Like, God does things. Like, like, 
and nobody thinks it's cool to be a pastor unless you're a pastor. Like, seriously. Like, you, like most of the time, if you tell people, like, hey, you know, what do you do for a living? That happens, and those are always fun conversations. What do you do for a living? Like, I'm a pastor. No one's like, dude, rad. Nobody does that. Um, and so well, I responded, and I let the guy know, I'm an MMA fighter. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes, really? And I went, no. I'm actually a pastor. No way! Um, so I bought this fight. It was the first time I've, I've seen one in, uh, in quite a while that I've purchased. And, um, and it was in Florida. And it was 100% open, 15,000 people, packed to the gills. They handed every person as they came in a mask uh, because, you know, they would be safe. But as they panned the crowd, not one person's wearing a mask. And the energy in the crowd... And the intensity of, of just the, how well the fights were and everything, it was just an incredible, uh, an incredible evening to watch. And the, one of the commentators said this, and I thought it was interesting that he said it because we've been hearing this exact statement all the way back when we opened in November. And he said, this feels so weird. It feels so weird to be in a room with this many people, but it feels so right. And, and it does. It feels good. To, to see your face and to sit under the authority and the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for him to minister to us through his word. God is good, amen? Um, so in this book, uh, God is, is being gracious and wrestling with Habakkuk in regards to this conversation he is having with God. Uh, his people, literally Habakkuk's people, at one point in time were at the pinnacle of their faith uh, they had the temple, and they were worshiping God, and they were running headstrong into the arms of Yahweh. And, and then later, uh, as time progressed, the culture, the culture literally began to absorb uh, God's people, and God's people uh, were no longer standing up for God's word and his commandments or living for the glory of God, but rather living for the glory of themselves, and they began to adopt the worship of other idols. And Habakkuk is crying out. He can't believe that his people have turned from the Lord in the way that they have. And so he's asking God, how come you're allowing this? How come you're allowing the people to turn from you? But why are you also allowing the culture to beat up on your people? I don't understand this, God. And so we're going to pick up in chapter uh, 2 this morning. And if you would, because of all the things I've just stated before, would you stand with me as we read from these verses? After his first question, where are you, Lord? Uh, there's this response. I think last week uh, I, I tried to dive into the bigness of God and the smallness of, of mankind. Chapter 2, we read this last week, but I'm going to repeat it in verse 1. Habakkuk says, I'll take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I'll look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he who may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. And Lord, indeed, we are not to live by sight alone, but by your word and by faith alone because of your great grace that you have given us, Lord. I trust that if there's anything that would hinder us from hearing from you, submitting to you, that you would remove it now with your Holy Spirit. I pray that all of us would acknowledge our need for you this morning, 
and that we would position our hearts and our minds in a place of humble teachability. And I include myself in that as well, Lord. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. You may be seated. Um, so God responds. And, and there's, there's this famous verse in here that, that you probably uh, you, you heard when I read it or you were reading it while I was reading it that the just shall live by faith. This idea of faith is kind of a big deal. And there's also a contrast. I want you to see that contrast, the contrast of the Babylonians that they are proud and that they are puffed up and that they are arrogant and that they are living life according to their own laws and their own rules. But the righteous, those who live according to Jesus Christ, those who know the gospel, those who have submitted themselves to the authority of God, we're to live by faith. And I don't know how this is going to turn out for this service, but uh, in the first service, I literally only got through like a third of my notes. Uh, for whatever reason, my mind um, kept going. Like, I, felt like a, I felt like in the first service, like a, um, like a puppy that, that's supposed to go in one direction, but there was just continual distractions in my mind that kept popping up. And so I, I'm, I'm curious to see how God leads us in this service. Uh, because there's a lot of material that I wanted the 830 to get, that they may not get, that you may get, uh, and that's kind of a weird place to be in. Uh, I, I told the, the first service, and this uh, is just true of me, I'm a, I'm a verbal processor. I don't know how many, anybody else a verbal processor? Anybody? All right, so we're the minority. And if you're a verbal processor, you know it's, it's dangerous to be a verbal processor, especially as a preacher uh, and a teacher, because you're, you're like working through thoughts. You're working through things in your mind, and, and you're trying to figure out where you actually stand on particular issues. And, and verbal processors, uh, may, I, th- I think this is of all of us, will have a tendency to say things we don't mean, but we're only saying it to figure out if we mean it. Does that make sense? You, you, <laughs> some, of you, some of you are looking at me like, wow, that's... That's not good. It is. It isn't. It isn't. And, and, I, and in the first service, I was verbal. Pro- I, had, like, I had my notes. I knew where I wanted to go. And when, when you have your notes and you know where you want to go, the attempt, the attempt as a pastor is to take you on a journey and a story as well as teach you. Right? We learn both through, through basic logic thought but also through narrative. And the, as I mentioned earlier, the Bible is a complete narrative. It's, it's a story, and it's one story that's connected all the way from Genesis to Revelation, and it, it, it's the overarching theme of just who Jesus is, right? The Bible's not about you, but it's about God, and, and we are folded into that story, and each of us are living out a story, a narrative, and that narrative, that narrative in our story is always best lived when we fold our story into the overall story of the gospel, forgiveness and grace and mercy, and so I try to take sermons through, through like a story to a certain degree. Sometimes I'm better at it than other times because I'm frail and I'm a human. And, and this morning in the first service, for whatever reason, uh, my mind was trying to stay with the story that I wanted to stay in, but I just kept going to other places. And, um, and so, so just buckle up for whatever the Lord may do for us this morning. So the first thing I want you to see is God, he responds, and there's a graciousness to the response of God. When you call out to God, God has a tendency to respond. Now, I mentioned last week, there's a little bit of, of um, debate in verse 1. I'll take my stand at the watch post. Uh, this is the prophet saying, hey, I'm going to go. I've now complained to God, 
and I'm standing in this tower, and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for, for what it is that God's going to say to me, and then I'm going to respond back to God. Uh, and one response, one kind of view is that maybe, uh, maybe as we play this out, that, that Habakkuk's standing in the tower, and he's being a little bit arrogant, and a little bit kind of pushy with the Lord. But the other, the other side, too, though, is that in, in Jerusalem, when they would build cities, they would put towers along the walls, and the idea would be that you could be in that tower and you could look out amongst the valley and you could see your enemies coming. Uh, you could see what was going to be happening. And so another view is that, that he's actually taking the correct response of talking with God and now he's waiting on the Lord. And he's being patient. And he's, he's asking God this question, how come the world is broken? How much longer will there be masks and vaccines and debate and politics and Democrat versus Republican? How long are these things going to happen, Lord? I'm going to wait in the tower and I'm going to see what you're going to do, but I'm going to stand at watch to make sure that I'm not caught off uh, by guard. I'm going to wait for God to respond to me. And so God does. And the first thing God responds is he says, okay, you know what you need to do? The first thing you need to do is you do need to buckle up. You do need to get ready. You need to take the vision I'm about to give you, and you need to write it down. Specifically, you need to write it down on tablets. Before we get to that, let's just recognize that there's, there is a, a, a waiting on God that has to occur. Right? The culture is constantly trying to get you to feel like your, your immediate needs must be met, doesn't it? Like, like patience is not produced... Patience is not produced in our culture. In fact, patience is a deliberate act of humility. Did you know that? It's a deliberate act of saying, okay, God, not my ways, but your ways. God, not my path, but your path. God, not my life, but your life. One of the things that we, we try to teach our children on a continual basis is that they own nothing, right? You own nothing. I, I own nothing. I'm just a steward of it. I'm a steward of God's things. I remember an elderly person was telling me one time, America's great because in America you can own everything. You can own what you want. And I said, you you can't own anything in America. You own nothing. Yes, I do. I own a house. Don't pay your taxes. See how that goes. Don't pay your property tax. Don't pay your registration on your car. You know what's going to happen? Someone's going to take it. Because you don't own it. And even besides that, the government doesn't ultimately own it. The Bible tells us that, that he owns all of the cattle. He owns all of the hills. He owns the mountaintops. He owns the animal. He owns everything. Everything belongs to God. So for you and I, our, our waiting on the Lord, our being patient with, within God is to give our lives to him and his complete timetable, to, to, to be good stewards of God's things. Everything is the Lord's. Now, Time doesn't work out the way that we want it to, does it usually? Has anyone's life gone according to plan? God's plan. I think there's a rap song with that. Um, <laughs> Sean knows it. My life hasn't gone according to the way. I, so like I told you before, I, I never thought I would be a pastor. I didn't want to be a pastor. But through God's time, I would. Someone sent me this text message um, and they sent me this quote. They've been sober for so many, uh, so many days, and they get these little like quotes to help help them fight through sobriety, like on their phone. And uh, I think she's been sober for well over a year now, which is great. And she sent me this. Uh, she said, "I thought this was interesting." And um, she sent me the great theologian Woody Allen, 
uh, I don't know if you've ever read any of his, his, his books. They're amazing theological. Some, you don't know. Okay, it's not funny. If, if you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. Right? We, we like to think that we're in control of things. And the contrast that's here, the contrast that's in here is the proud and the arrogant who, it, it, for Babylonians, it was literally, we're going to amass for ourselves all of the land and all of the people. They're going to be slaves to us. We're going to own it. And, and then on the contrast of it, there's the humble who live by faith who understand, I can plan my whole life out, but it's not going to go according to the way that I want it to, right? We used to have a saying in, in my church in San Diego that I was a part of for several years, blessed are the flexible for they're not bent out of shape, right? I mean, we have a tendency to, to say, I want my, like, eat. we get upset when, when, when our day gets interrupted in all kinds of different ways. And one of the things that we've, as a staff here, which is really incredible, I think, about our staff and, and those who volunteer, we take a very flexible approach to how we do ministry, one of the things, if you've ever been in the office, is, is all of us have a very open-door policy uh, at our church. You could come in at any given time, and you're not going to feel like you're interrupting something, right? The, the office doors are open. You can come complain. You can, you can come and, and, and rejoice. You can come and share stories. You can actually meet with the pastors here if you want to, and, and, and hopefully they'll, they'll be gracious and kind with you. There's a gal. She's here this morning, and I don't want to embarrass her too much, but she set up a meeting with me this last week. And uh, as I shared with you, the, what's been really incredible in this season is, is just how God has been bringing people closer to himself and to his heart. And for some of you, I know like it's almost like, I don't know, is it, some of you might almost be lost on you at the incredible beauty of what's happening here every Sunday. Because we've been doing it now for so long that we forget. And I can honestly tell you, every week, there's new faces that come here and they're like, this is so good. And they're in tears. And so we had a gal. She came, started coming. She used to be uh, out of town during Christmas Eve. And so because of coronavirus and the lockdown, she found out about our church, decided to come. Hasn't been to church in, I think, 35 years. Brought her family and just was blown away at what was happening here. Just blessed by, by really what, what I, I know it's being around people, but the 100% credit goes to the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit's in the room, yeah? God's here. And there's that sense of, of seeing God, feeling God, and by I mean seeing God, seeing others in the room, and, 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 and they've been coming, her and her family, every single week faithfully since Christmas Eve. And then they've started inviting other families who are coming every week. And in fact, one of those families, I, I, I picked up my daughter from their house, and, and, and the husband was telling me how much he loves the Word and church, and and, and, and I thought, man, how many more people are out there that don't know what God is doing here and they just need to be invited so they can see how good God is and that their lives can be uh, just emboldened and strengthened and encouraged? Do you know there's more people like that? They just don't know. They, don't, they haven't looked on the internet or they haven't Googled. Or they just don't know, right? And so she set up this meeting with me and she asked me all kinds of great questions uh, which I love. I love meeting with people who are figuring out the faith and, and, and trying to figure out who Jesus is. And, and we were chatting, and, and here I am this whole week reading about faith and reading about what faith is and what faith isn't. And, and with tears in her eyes, she, she, at the end of our meeting, she just kind of asked me this question. She goes, so, so what do I, what? She's struggling to get it out. And then she finally just says it. 
how does one get saved? I was like, oh. That's like the best question in the world, right? And I've said all kinds, there's all kinds of different ways that we can communicate about how one gets saved. I mean, there are. I mean, you know that the gospel, as well as the word of God, as has been said before, is shallow enough for any child to play within its shores. Right? Any child can, can play in the water, but at the same time, as shallow as it is, as, as easy it is to grasp and understand, the gospel in the Bible is also like a deep ocean. You can never plumb its depths. Right? I love the idea of what C.S. Lewis talks about. I, I've, I've used this illustration before, but just the, the climbing of the mountain in heaven and eternity, that, that we think that eternity is that we're going to get to heaven we're going to figure it all out, and, and we're going to know everything. And the reality is, is God is infinite, and we're going to climb that mountain of love in heaven, and we're going to be educated about what love is and what grace is and what wisdom is and what goodness is. We're going to climb all of those mountains. And again, I think it was Lewis who said, you're going to get to the precipice only to look up to see that there's another mountain to climb. You know, the journey is to continue to grow in faith and to grow in understanding, and as shallow as it is, is it's deep. And that's why we encourage you to keep going deeper in the Bible. And, and even though at times if you're a new Christian and it's hard to understand the Bible, just give it time. You'll get there, but you'll never understand the Bible. So back to that question, though. How does one get saved? You know, it's interesting because, you know, we have examples in the Gospels where literally there were men who followed Jesus for a period of time who literally asked Jesus the same question. How does one get saved? And one particular point, um, Jesus actually responds with something that's basically impossible. He says, just sell everything you have, you'll be saved. Right? In another place, Jesus is having a conversation about salvation, and he tells the disciples that in order to be saved, one must be born again, right? And, and he's saying this, and his disciples are standing there, and they're, they're, they're listening, or they're sitting down at a campfire, whatever kind of imagery you want to put in there. They're in a living room. I don't know where they're at, but they're having a conversation. And one of the disciples asks the question, because they're taking everything very literally, well, well, well how, how does somebody, how, do you, how does someone, do you got to go in your mother's womb? That's the question. They're really like, how does one get born again? How does one get saved? And the answer is, to one degree, absolutely nothing. Right? Jesus is essentially saying there's nothing you can do to get saved. Like, we want steps. We love them. Just go to any bookstore. Go to any self-help aisle. Ten steps to this. When you're, when you're in the, 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 uh, the grocery store, just look at the magazine racks. They're filled with ten things for this. Five steps for better makeup, right? I don't know why that one popped in my head. <laughs> but there's all kinds of these, right? You know what I'm saying. You, have you seen them? Ten things to be a better man. Just, I go to the gym. You can see articles on, on magazines in the gym that are filled with ten ways to get better biceps, right? Ten exercises to get abs. I gave up on abs a long time ago, right? There's... This is what you got to do. We love the lists. But salvation is not according to a list. Salvation is not according to what you do. Salvation is not according to 10 steps, to, to doing these things. Salvation is not according to what, mu what must you do to be saved. And here's the answers, A, B, C, D, and E. No, salvation is according to faith alone. It just says the righteous shall live by faith. Well, what is faith? 
Well, Hebrews tells us, turn to Hebrews chapter um, 11. And uh, Amy, I have this, I think, on um, slide nine. Like, because of first service, I'm not following the rules anymore. 11 verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Do you hear that? Now, this is a great definition of faith. I think I have another verse up there as well from chapter 12. Fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, for who the joy set before him endured the cross. Scorning, scorning shame. So let, let's, let's define faith. Let's talk about faith a little bit because faith is the way in which you get saved. You go, well, how do, how, does, how do I have faith in Christ? And maybe ask some of those questions and tease some of that. Now, first of all, let, let's embrace this reality. The reality that mankind is naturally creatures of faith. It, it, it could be said that, that actually you can't live a healthy life. You can't live a healthy life without faith. You know what I mean by that? Okay, here's what I mean by that. The object of your doubt. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Every single one of you walked into the every. I guarantee this. Every single one of you walked into the room this morning, or if you're online watching online on your couch, or as one couple told me, <laughs> they love watching me every morning in bed. So it's totally normal now, I guess. Not weird. Feels weird to be in your bedroom, but hey, hey, how you doing? Um, <laughs> Everybody, every one of you walked into the room and you hoped, whether you knew it or not, you hoped the chair you're sitting in would hold you, right? It's the assurance of things hoped for that it would work and the conviction of things not seen. You were all convinced that the chair would hold you. How do I know? None of you, none of you looked under your chair to make sure the screws were there. Did you? Did anybody look to make sure? Let me give you another example. Most of you probably drove here. You got in the car. You hoped it would get you here. It did, but none of you checked the brake line, did you? You couldn't see it. And faith is the reality in Jesus Christ that just because we can't see certain cosmic things, just because we can't see behind the scenes what's happening, just because we're not aware of, 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 of you know, seeing God face to face, we believe and are convinced that he is God, he is in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father, that he has saved us, that he did live 33 years, that he did die on the cross for our sins, and that he was resurrected from the dead, defeating death. We're convinced of those realities, though we didn't see them. Now, that doesn't mean there's not evidence there. We believe there's evidence there. But we have faith, knowing inside of our hearts we're convinced and we're assured that Jesus is the author of our salvation. Amen? Convinced of it. And so sitting down with this gal this week, I asked her, I said, do you believe in Jesus? Do you have faith in him? Do you believe in him? And she said, yes. And I said, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. Right, and then the next question that sometimes occurs, man, the righteous is supposed to live by faith. The, the question that gets asked, right, how, how do I get saved? You believe in the gospel with assurance. And something happens when that occurs, you become born again. 
And you know how you know you're born again? You see things differently. You do. The lens of, of, of which how you live your life, that's why we're in a room packed full of people without masks. Because you know what Cole, you, you know without a shadow of a doubt, not only that Jesus is there, but you know what else you also know? You also know that in historically, historically, science hasn't always got it right. Right? Everyone likes to spout that. Like I mentioned earlier, I got that email this week. Hey, how come you're not wearing masks and all this? And, and I responded and I said, I said to the individual in the email just as an open response, I, I let them know, hey, uh, for as much as people are, are, are dying and we hear the deaths and the sickness, you know, we've done our due diligence. We've wrestled, talked with elders. I talked with a nurse this week, uh, someone who works at the hospital, and I've heard this from multiple people in hospitals, that the amount of, of suicide attempts... DUIs, death from substance abuse, depression, hospital visits, through the roof. So they've treated more people because of those things far greater than uh, due to COVID. Found out this week from a couple, they're trying to find uh, some therapists in town, in the Nevada-Tahoe Basin, wait list, 100% wait list. You can't find a counselor. You can't find one. They're all booked out. They're all too busy. They're all overwhelmed. And so what I share with, with people, part of the defense for us being open, we've done our part, right? We've hooked in the little air filter that cleans the air. We clean surfaces. We do all those things that we need to do. And, and as much as I say to those individuals, you don't think that we care about human lives, but what is your response to the fact that we're a solution to curing all of these other ails? That the Bible addresses depression, it, it addresses anxiety and isolation and loneliness, and we're preaching that gospel, and it's changing lives. You know what their answer is? They don't have one. They stop fighting. They stop saying, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I, it was for the first time in, in a long time I, I, I just said, hey, listen, I think Maybe if you try to find this church in another location, it might be a better fit. We care about you. We want you here. But if you're going to feel safer, you should go somewhere else. The reality is, is that when, when we are saved, you become born again, and this new thing starts to happen. You start to see things that you've never seen before, and you start to trust God over the culture, and you start to address sin in your life, and, and, and just things start to happen. It's almost as if, and maybe some of you can relate to this. I know it's been true for me. It's still true for me. Because even though I've been born again, and that's a one-time occurrence that occurs, it's almost as if still God every now and then remakes me born again, again, again. It's the part of sanctification. I mean, there's, there's these moments where it's like, I'm saved, and you rejoice, and then you go through life, you get a little beat up, you get a few emails, you get someone looking at you sideways, you, wanna, you get some kids, and then you get stressed out because of your kids, and then you move, and then COVID hits, and life gets crazy, and then all of a sudden God shows you something, and he bathes you in his love and his grace because you've been, in the midst of all that craziness, you've been faithful to study God's word and faithful to be around God's people, and then he just gives you fresh wind and fresh fire inside of your life and your heart, and you go, oh, wow, God is who he says he is. I mean, I feel like, to a certain degree, like, like in the last year, like our church died and then was born again. 
That's kind of how it's felt. Right? Some, not all of you were here. I was here for all of it. Okay? Every bloody day. I don't know how many of you remember, but our church last year, two years ago now, whatever it's been, we have the same issue. Church was blowing up. Things were getting big. We were talking about a third service, blowing out walls, starting to dream, starting to have visions, and the coronavirus hits, shut down for three months. Uh, only the real deep rebels were coming to church at that time. You know, like there was like five of them. And then we opened up again when they said we could open up again. And we did social distancing, and we had the rows and, 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 and all of that. And then Wayne got coronavirus and shared with everybody that he had coronavirus. And then the very next week, five people were in church for two services. Remember that Sunday, Brad? It, lit, like, it literally felt like someone died in the room. We went from a church of five to 600 people during the summer months to five. Do you know what that feels like? It doesn't feel good, right? And, and just like Habakkuk's doing, man, I know our elders are doing it. I know I was doing it. God, where are you? What are you doing we had the conversation about reopening. I, I, I was all passionate, and, and I sometimes get this kind of like, you know, I'm just going to, and I remember I was telling, telling the elders, I don't care. We can't shut down again, and we can't do this. I can't do it. If we do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit, and if I don't quit, you're going to fire me. And Brad Beer says, slow down. We're not going to fire you. <laughs> like, you keep saying we're going to fire you. We're not going to fire you because for the most part, almost all of us were in complete agreement that we need to step forward in faith to be about the faithful living of God's people and God's church. Because one of the things that, that is a primary job for the pastor and for the church on a Sunday morning isn't only to lead people to Jesus Christ. And I have this actually in my office. If you go back there, you see a list of like 10 things that are goals for me every single time that I preach. And one of those things is to strengthen the faith of God's people. That you would leave here feeling stronger in who Christ is and to live according to who Christ is. So there's this, this kind of initial like baptism, if you will, this being born again. And if, if you're a new Christian, it's time to talk baptism and to show your church family that you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you want to proclaim to others that he is worth it. And you have this born-again experience and and then you have these other moments where God just continually is like reawakening you and making you new and making you fresh and making you clean. I mean, it's interesting to note if, if you remember when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And you remember, you remember Peter, right? We all remember Peter. Peter's the arrogant guy. He's the, the full of, you know, vinegar and other stuff. <laughs> and... <laughs> Some of you made the connection. And, um, and Peter said, he goes to wash Peter's feet, and Peter says, no. No, you can't. You're God. You can't wash my feet. And then Jesus, because he knows, man, he knows how to push in on us. And like I said last week, if you don't have a God that pushes in on you, if you, if you don't have a God that, if you do have a God that always agrees with you, you have a, a false God that is made in your image. Like the God who loves us challenges us, and he challenges our way of thinking. He challenges our faith, and he encourages us to live by faith because we are justified. And Jesus, in that moment with Peter, he pushes back, and he says, 
He says, Peter, if you don't let me, I just see him like having a talk with a child. This is how I would talk to my children. If you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part with me at all. And what's Peter's response? Bathe all of me. (laughs) Right? Which is kind of weird. It is. Bathe all of me. And then Jesus has this statement. He, he says, those who are clean are already clean. They don't need to be bathed, just the feet. It's that rewashing. What he's saying to Peter is, you're already clean, but when you're walking through the world and the world is pushing in on your heart like a tin can, telling you that you need to be all about you, telling you that you need to live the way the culture tells you to live, telling you you need to care about how you look, telling you you need to drive certain cars and have a certain amount of money, telling you to think a certain way, telling you to believe a certain way, telling you that if you dare think like the rest of the culture, then you're actually part of the problem. Right? Every day the world is just pushing in and pressing in and telling you something, telling you another narrative that is a false narrative and it's a lie. But what he's saying is is you need a continual renewal of your feet. You're bloodying up your toes. You're muddying up your feet because you're walking through the world, and the world is tough on you, and it's hard on you. And Jesus is basically saying, keep coming to me, keep pursuing me, that I may wash your feet. I mean, how many of you this week sinned? (laughs) That's all of you, by the way, (laughs) just so we're clear. Woody Allen probably wouldn't say that, but I'll tell you. All of you sinned this week. At some point in time, you were no different than the people of Habakkuk. You've turned your back on God at least, at least once, if not a multitude of times. You know, Jesus is still faithful to pursue you and to love you and to be with you. He knows. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and of course there's many, um, is this place. Like, we have this tendency, right? There's even whole churches that have a tendency to kind of build their whole church experience around emotions and, and, and feeling and making you feel a certain thing and making you feel entertained. That's just kind of the whole realm, right? And there's this place in the Gospels where Jesus, Jesus takes his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. He takes them to the top of a mountain. And on the top of the mountain, Jesus is transfigured. It's like, there's, it's like the sun just opened up just for these guys. It's beaming down, and Moses shows up. Moses has been transfigured in that moment, and he's there. They're having this spiritual experience, man, just the emotional high. And Peter, again, our dear friend Peter, says, Jesus, we've got to build a house here and live here, right? It's the Tahoe experience. We've got to live here. Like, let's not ever go back down. That's literally what Peter says. He's like, we can't, we don't need to go back down. We need to stay here. This is the epitome. This is what life is all about. This is what we need to be doing. This is where we need to be living. I could just imagine him. He's like giving that sales pitch. Jesus, we need to just stay here. And Jesus says, absolutely not. There's more work for us to be done down the mountain. So they go down the mountain, enter down into that valley. And what does Jesus find right at the bottom of the valley? But a father. And this father, I imagine, is just in great pain, and he is crying, I'm sure, and he is filled with anxiety. And he tells Jesus, he, he, he goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you, will you heal my son? My son is demon-possessed. He's been demon-possessed for quite a long time. The father recognizes it's a spiritual issue that he cannot fix. He even says at some point, if you can imagine as a father, my child at times is thrown into the fire by these demons, and he's harming himself. And you would think, you know, like, 
There's a part of you think that Jesus would just be like, let's handle this right now, but he doesn't because he wants to teach the Father something, and he wants to teach us as a church 2,000 years after the story happened. He wants to teach us something. So what, is, what does he say to this Father? He says, do you believe? Do you have faith? Before he heals the son, he asks the question. And I love the response. Those of you who know the story, you know the beautiful response from the father. This helpless father who wants to see his son healed. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I believe you. But if I'm really honest, sometimes I don't. God, I want to just jump off any cliff for you, but at the same time, I sure would like a parachute. God, I, I, I want to believe you're going to be faithful in my family. God, I want to believe that you're going to save my kids. God, I, I want to believe I dealt with it all summer long. God, I want to believe that when we go inside, we're going to be okay. God, I, I believe, I believe, but I don't believe. And God knows that that's the human struggle. You believe, but you don't believe. But I'll still be faithful even if you're faithless. I'll still be faithful, even if you're faithless. It's the reality that none of, us, none of us can live a perfect walk with Jesus, and Jesus is still fully going to accept an imperfect walk of belief and unbelief. My friends, if you've had questions of God in the last year, if you have wrestled with if God is truly loving and kind, you're in the right room. You're in the right place. The good news is, is that we have an advocate, and his name is Jesus Christ, who's better and bigger than not only our sin, but our lack of faith. Wherever we have failed to live in faith, Jesus has prevailed in faithful living. And that is why in faith we place our lives inside the person of Jesus Christ. It's okay to wrestle It's okay to struggle. It's okay to question. Just keep showing up and presenting yourself before the Lord. Here I am. Use me. Use me. And he will. And it'll be an ugly mess. But it'll still be totally beautiful. I promise you that. It'll be totally crazy and weird and at times hurtful and at times confusing. But it'll be beautifully exactly what it's supposed to be. That's the goodness of Jesus. Would you stand with me? Lord, we live in an interesting time. And we know that you're completely aware of that, Lord. In fact, you probably would look at us and say, you think it's hard now. You should have seen what it was like then, and you should see what it's like going to be like in the future. But in the midst of chaos, in the midst of pain, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of questioning, Lord, you have always been constant, and you have always been faithful to your people. We believe and trust in that faithfulness, Lord. We know that where we've missed it, and we have at times, We know where we've made missteps and we've sinned, Lord, that that 
that you're aware of it and that, Lord, you are forgiving and you are gracious in it. I pray that we would continue to pursue you no matter what. I pray for more lives like the one I mentioned this morning, Lord, that give themselves to you. I pray for more of us to give ourselves to you. Encourage us to not live in fear and to not live in the anxiety that the culture is telling us to live in, but to live boldly and to proclaim the goodness of Jesus and invite others along for this beautiful, crazy ride. And we trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Pour out our praise, pour out our praise, it's your blood. 